0: The 11th century king of Norway, Harold Sigurdsson, was known as a hard and ruthless ruler. Now, uh, his, his life and his reign were filled with conquests and plundered riches. But there are also some stories that stand out to me about the clever military tactics Harold often used to defeat his enemies in battle. Uh, for example, There's a story that he once faked his own death and had his body offered to his enemies, who gladly accepted it for boasting rights or something, I'm not sure. But as they began to bring the coffin into the city and the gates opened, Harold jumped up, his men rushed in and they took the town. But one of the more interesting legends about his strange and somehow effective military tactics include when Harold came to a well-fortified city, had large walls. Now, common military practice at the time would call for maybe trying to get over those walls through ladders and ramps, but that was usually a costly tactic for an attacking army. Oh, another option would be to surround the city and just wait for starvation to force the people into a surrender. Yeah, but apparently Harold knew that the city was prepared for a long siege like that. so instead. He noticed that every day a bunch of birds kept flying out of the city. They'd go to the countryside and look for food, and they returned to their nests in the city walls. So, Harold got a group of his men together and they caught as many of those birds as they could. Then they covered them in combustible materials, set them on fire, and let them loose. On well, those birds, they frantically flew back to their nests in the city, and all of a sudden the whole place was in flames. And in the chaos, the people fled their burning city right into the arms of Harold and his army waiting outside. Now, the legend of Harold and the birds makes for a good story. But it probably doesn't make for a reliable military tactic. And I have a feeling that many people would say the same thing about the historical account of Joshua and the Israelites as they approached the walls of the city of Jericho. The battle tactic they used is probably not found in any military textbook today. However, as we turn together this morning to Joshua chapter 5, verse 13, we're going to see why God's battle plans for Joshua and for Israel are still applicable to God's people today in the spiritual battles we face. So that's where we're going to be this morning, Joshua chapter 5, verse 13. If you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to turn there. Or you can follow along using the screens here in the front. Let's begin there together. Joshua chapter 5, verse 13, it says this. Now, when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up, saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for a servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. All right, let's stop right here for a minute. We really need to understand this. You see, this very... Brief event that we are giving would prove to be crucial for Joshua, for the Israelites, and it's crucial for us today as God's people. And to understand why, we need to recognize who was standing in front of Joshua. Joshua says, "Who are you? You one of ours? Are you one of theirs?" Then he learns that this is someone far greater than he realized. This individual is the commander of the army of the Lord, and that didn't just mean the army of God's people, Israel but the army of God's angelic hosts. This was a powerful and authoritative person in front of Joshua. He realized that. So he fell face down in reverence and is told to remove his sandals because he's standing on holy ground. So understand, this individual in front of Joshua was no mere man. This individual was also no mere angel who was before him. No, this was God himself. Now, in theology, we would refer to this as a Christophany, which is when Jesus, the Son of God, temporarily took on a visible form for a specific purpose prior to when he came at his virgin birth. And we can be confident that is what's going on here because it's only when someone is in the presence of God that they are told they're standing on holy ground. Go home this week and look at Exodus chapter 3 for another example of that. Also, In Scripture, whenever someone falls down in reverence and worship in front of an angel, the angel says, don't do that. Stand up, worship God. Well, Joshua wasn't told that because this reverence, this worship was appropriate. He was standing in the presence of God. So when Joshua says, who are you? Are you one of ours or one of theirs? Well, the Lord looks at him and essentially says, no, you're one of mine. Here, Joshua was being reminded of the chain of command. He was fighting for the Lord, which meant that he needed to follow the Lord's plans as they approached Jericho. And believer, the same is true for us. We are following the Lord in this life. Now, understand, Christians, the Bible says that our enemies in this life are not flesh and blood. It's not people. Now, the people who set themselves up as the enemies of God and God's people We're told that we're supposed to love and pray for those individuals. Now, our battles are primarily spiritual in this life. The enemies we struggle against, the Bible says, are the powers of this dark world and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. See, it's the devil and his minions. It's our sin nature. It's the temptations in the world that we strive and fight against as God's people. As we do, we need to remember the chain of command. You see, Jesus looks at his people today and he says, you're one of mine. I don't know about you, but there's nothing sweeter than that. But that means that we need to follow him. And that we need to follow his commands in the battles that we face. When we come to times of trials, temptation, tribulation, we need to look to Jesus Christ first and foremost. Because you see, I have a feeling that Joshua had already spent some time contemplating how were they going to take the city of Jericho? Or would they do it by trying to scale the walls? or Maybe they would lay siege to the city? I have a feeling he'd been thinking about these things. But first things first, he needed to look to the commander for the real plan. You see, many times when we come to a spiritual struggle in our lives as Christians, we're quick to make our own plan and then we pray and we ask God to bless it. But first things first, We need to go to him and ask us to guide us to the right plan. And why wouldn't we look to God to guide us into our battles, believers? If our battles in this life are primarily spiritual, shouldn't we look to the commander of all things, including the commander of angel armies to guide, to direct, to deliver us? Rest assured, like that song that we sang earlier said, the God of angel armies is always by our side as we sang, whom shall we fear? What trial should cause us to tremble, Christians? The answer is no trial should. So long as we remember who we belong to, so long as we remember the chain of command, and so long as we remember who we are supposed to look to for the battle plan. God was about to give Joshua his plan. Let's look at chapter six, verse one. It says, now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out. No one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, see, I've delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of rams, horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, March around the city seven times with the priest blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up, everyone straight in. So Joshua receives God's battle plans and they were, they were different, right? These plans, they... They went against all military strategy, all human logic. For six days, they were supposed to go out in full battle array, never speaking a word. While the Ark of the Covenant was with them, while the seven priests blew trumpets, they were supposed to march around the city one time and go back to camp. And on the seventh day, they'd march around seven times, let out a shout, and the walls would fall down. Now, I have a feeling none of us here would ever imagine a plan quite like this we probably wouldn't ask God for a plan quite like this. And Maybe we would ask God in a situation like this to rain down hail on the city, or to blow open the city gates, or to bring a plague on our enemies, or something like that. But marching around the city quietly probably wouldn't come to any of our minds. But you know, it's, it's interesting. As you look through Scripture, and when we keep our eyes open in our own lives, believers, it's interesting to see how often God delights in bringing victory to his people in ways that don't make sense to our human intellect and to man's wisdom. After all, isn't that what God did when he brought about our great salvation through the death and resurrection of Jesus? I see many people consider that a very strange truth. That's why Paul wrote this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul said, In other words, Paul is saying that, you know, salvation from a crucified and risen Savior doesn't make much sense in the world's view of things. That's because God's ways, his wisdom, his strength are so much greater than mankind's. And those of us who have put our faith in Jesus Christ as our Savior, now we see, we see the wisdom and the power of God in salvation. So when it comes to God's plans in our current situations, believers, we need to trust those plans even when they don't line up with what we are thinking. Just as Joshua and Israel would need to trust God's plans. So, believers, when 1 Peter chapter 5 says that we're to be on the lookout for our enemy, the devil, and to resist him, and stand firm in our faith, well, we can know that that's how we're to approach those battles, relying on the strength that God promises to give us. When 2 Timothy chapter 2 says we are to flee from sinful desires we can know that that's how we're to deal with the temptations of this life. When James chapter 1 says to consider trials pure joy because they produce perseverance in our lives, that's how we're to approach life's difficulties. When Philippians chapter 4 says not to be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God, we can be confident that this is the plan we're supposed to follow. And we can trust that when we do that, we'll receive the peace he promises in Philippians chapter 4. You see, in all the spiritual battles that we face, Christians, we need to trust in the Lord's plans, just like Joshua and Israel needed to right now. And you know what? As Joshua and the Israelites did that, they could cling to God's promise. Maybe you saw that promise in verse 2. God said that he had already delivered Jericho into their hands along with the king, and it's fighting men, In other words, the Israelites, they were already the victors. They simply needed to step into that victory by trusting God and following his battle plans, even if those plans seem strange to them. And Christians, I want to share a beautiful truth with you today, that as followers of Jesus Christ, we already stand in a place of spiritual victory. Listen to what Paul said in Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 31. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it's written, for your sake we face death all day long. We're considered a sheep to be slaughtered. No. Underline those in your Bible. Come back to them often. See, in all the trials and temptations we face, all the attacks of our enemy, the devil, all the persecutions in this life, we can rest knowing that we've already been guaranteed the ultimate victory in Jesus Christ. We can rest knowing that we will be with him forever. And to live as victors here and now in the spiritual battles that we face, we need to trust God's plans. We need to look to him as the commander-in-chief in our lives. And finally, we need to follow his plans to the very end. Let me show you what I mean verse 6. It says, So Joshua, son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the ark of the covenant of the Lord. Have seven priests carry trumpets in front of it. And he ordered the army, advance, march around the city with an armed guard going ahead of the ark of the Lord. When Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the Lord went forward, blowing their trumpets, and the ark of the Lord's covenant followed them. The armed guard marched ahead of the priests who blew the trumpets. and The rear guard followed the ark. All this time, the trumpets were sounding. But Joshua had commanded the army, do not give a war cry. Do not raise your voices. Do not say a word until the day I tell you to shout then shout. So he had the ark of the Lord carried around the city circling at once. Then the army returned to camp and spent the night there. So Joshua tells the people the plan, and they go for it. They go for it. They, they marched around the city and they came back to camp. And sure enough, no stones on that city wall fell that day. Well, the walls of Jericho, they were still high and intact. The Israelite army didn't gain any ground in the promised land their camp didn't move an inch now they were trusting and obeying God's plans that day but they would need to do this again the next day and then the day after that and then the day after that all with the same results it kind of makes you wonder if God was gonna bring the walls down why not bring them down right away why Why wait seven days and make thirteen trips around the city? I feel like that probably confused the Israelites. Certainly would have confused their enemies. But it beats a siege, though, right? I mean, a siege can last a long time. In fact, the longest siege recorded—at least one of the longest sieges recorded in history—took place in the year 1648. An army came and besieged the city of Candia. And that siege lasted 21 years before the army finally won the victory. (laughs) Seven days doesn't sound so bad. Unless you're the one waiting seven days. See, because if we're honest, it's hard for a lot of us when God doesn't bring victory to our battles immediately. That's hard. Uh, We might come to a situation, to some spiritual struggle. We know God's plans. We know his promises. And so we begin with great fervor and great passion. And then sometimes things, they they stay the same for a while. A day by day goes by and that trial hasn't gotten any easier. That temptation seems as persistent as the first day. That loss, that struggle, that hardship seems as insurmountable as the walls of Jericho on days one through six. But the question is, Will we continue trusting God like we did on day one? Because sometimes when things seem to take a while, that's when we're tempted to, to think that God's way is not working. And then maybe you've had those thoughts come into your mind that say, yeah, God, God's failed me. It'd be Because I, I've been faithful for six days and these walls are still here. Because I've been battling this temptation for six months and it still comes around. Because I've been struggling with this loneliness and this loss for six years and it still hurts like the first day. Is God's strength really available? Is His comfort? Is His peace available to me? And you see, when we fall into that line of thinking, before we know it, we're praying to God less, we're reading Scripture a lot less we're relying on him less. We start to look to our own ingenuity, our own wisdom to see us through. When it seems like nothing is changing, when it seems like the trial is an ending, that the conclusion is far off, that's when we can be tempted to throw in the towel and to give up, say God has failed us. But believers, if only, if only we would continue to the very end on the path that God has marked out for us, trusting him and obeying him all the way through. Then we would see how he's working. Well, what if Israel gave up after six days of marching? Well, we would say that that'd be foolish of them. Don't we do that sometimes? How many times do we do that? We hold off off from temptation for a little while. Uh, We pray to God the first day of the difficulty, and then somewhere along the line, we give up and we go on without him. As a pastor once said, many people don't see answers to their prayers because they've stopped at round 12 in the conquest of their personal Jericho. You see, what I'm trying to get at is that we need to trust and obey God's battle plans to the very end. See, that's easy on day one. But day six, day 16, day 60, sometimes that's when it's hard. The question is, will we continue to trust and obey God's plans? Will we continue to look to him to lead us in this life? See, at times, God intentionally allows the victory to be long and coming to our lives, believers. One reason is so that we would learn to rely on him and depend on him each and every day, each step that we take. Sure, God could throw down the walls of your personal Jericho tomorrow. He could do that. Many times he doesn't because he wants us to learn patience and perseverance and to learn what it means to depend on him. God wants us to depend on him. So he allows the trials to last a little longer sometimes. That's why it's not just about trusting him on day one. It's about trusting and following him day after day. Day one was done for Israel. And victory would come if they were steadfast in following the Lord's plans. See, they would need to be patient to see victory. They weren't going to see this victory for days. And neither will we. Which is why this is where we're going to end in Joshua chapter 6. Next week we'll pick up in verse 12. And believers, I don't know what trial or temptation or, spiritual struggle you find yourself in today. But there will be difficulties we'll face in this life. In fact, the Bible is very clear that as followers of Jesus Christ, we will face increased spiritual difficulties and struggles. Jesus, Jesus made this clear to his disciples. He said in John chapter 16, He said, In this world you will have trouble. Then do you know what He told them? He said, But take heart, I've overcome the world. We're already conquerors in Jesus Christ, believers. Now The victory is assured, and to experience God's victories in the spiritual struggles of this life, we simply need to look to the commander of our lives. We need to trust his plans and steadfastly follow him to the very end. So no matter what struggle you are going through this week, I would encourage you to hold fast to this truth, that God's victories are assured to his faithful people. Remember that god's victories are assured to his faithful people we need to seek him out we need to trust him and we need to faithfully follow his plans even when those plans seem a little strange even when they don't make sense to us even when we start to think that we know a better way we need to trust that god knows more that he knows best and we need to follow him and while we do And when we come to those days of victory, let's be sure that we're found singing his praises. In just a minute, we're going to have a final song, a time of invitation. And I'm going to encourage every believer here. If you're going through a spiritual struggle right now and you haven't looked to God for his guidance, for his wisdom, for his battle plan, go to the Lord in prayer. Ask him to guide and direct you. Maybe you've already done that and it's been a long time you've been following God's plan, you're getting a little discouraged. Lay that at the Lord's feet. Tell him that you're discouraged. Ask him for his strength, for his comfort, the things that he promises you. Maybe you're here, and praise the Lord, you've experienced God's victory in some sort of spiritual struggle in your life. I hope that you'll spend this invitation time praising Jesus Christ. And maybe you're here, and Jesus Christ isn't your Savior. In which case, I understand a lot of the things I have probably said today sound very strange one of the reasons for that is because you haven't experienced what it is to have Jesus Christ be a part of your trials and he is not a part of the trials that you face in this life. But more than that, please be aware if Jesus isn't your savior, he's not going to be a part of your eternity when this life is over. I just want to share a couple truths with you as we close. Please understand the Bible says that there is a problem and the problem is all of us, all of us, we've sinned. We've broken God's commands. What we do when we lie and cheat, and steal, and lust, and take God's name in vain, and on and on that list goes. And the reason that's a problem is because our sins are separating us from God, not just in this life, but when this life is over, we're going to be separated forever from God in a place called hell. That's the just punishment for sin. You know, that bad news gets worse because the Bible says we can't make up for sin on our own. No amount of good works, no amount of going to church, no amount of going to First Baptist Church of Oxford, none of these things are going to make us right in God's sight. But that's where the good news comes in, the news of how Jesus Christ won a victory for all of us. See, Jesus Christ left his place in heaven and came to this earth for you and me. And Jesus lived a perfect life, the thing we can't do. And at the end of that life, Jesus stood in our place when he died on the cross to take the wrath, the penalty, the punishment our sins deserve. He was being our substitute. And after Jesus died, he was buried in the grave. And if that's where the story ended, this wouldn't have brought us any hope. But three days later, Jesus powerfully rose from the dead, proving that he is who he said he is. He's the Savior, he's the Son of God, and he's the only one who can forgive us of our sins. And friend, please understand that although you are separated from God right now, Jesus Christ is waiting for you to come to him in faith. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Jesus will rescue you from the penalty of hell, forgive you of all your sins, and he'll give you eternal life. See, he already won the victory. It's yours and it's waiting for you. The question is, will you give your life to Jesus Christ? Let's pray together. Friend, if that's where you're at, if you know, you know Jesus isn't your Savior, but you're ready for all that to change, please know it doesn't matter where you're at in life, the things that you have done, Jesus Christ died for you and he has been waiting your whole life to rescue you. And you can go to him right now and give him your life. Admit to Jesus Christ that you you know you're a sinner. But that you know he died on the cross for your sins. That you believe he didn't stay in the grave but that he rose from the dead. Ask him to be your savior. Oh, and he'll come, he'll forgive you, he'll rescue your soul, and he'll walk through you through every trial with this life. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that if there is anyone here who has not made that decision, I pray they'd be willing to come and talk to me during this invitation time. they talk with someone before they leave this place. And for those of us who have given our lives to Jesus Christ, Father, we know we're going to face trials in this life. Some of us are facing trials right now. But that trial seems like it's never ending. That temptation seems like it won't go away. That struggle seems persistent. Help us to not stop looking to you and trusting you. When those days come when we're tempted to do things on our own, we weren't tempted to think that you failed us, that you're not with us, pray that instead that you would open our eyes, help us see all the ways that you are with us. I pray you'd give us the comfort, the wisdom, the peace that we need in the midst of those things. Help us to be a people that look to you, not just on day one, but every day, including those days of trials. And help us to always be found singing your praises in the midst of the trial and when you bring victory. Father, I thank you for the great encouragement of your word. I thank you that we can be confident that you are with us in all these things that we go through. We thank you most of all that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins. We thank you for the salvation that we've received. We pray you be glorified in our lives. Father, we love you. but we thank you for loving us so much more. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.